Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. One of the things I enjoy about speaking at conferences is getting to listen to other speakers and visit with them and get to know them better. Most of them I already know in some way. I was recently at a conference and speaking with uh, Dr. Tommy Ice. Tommy's actually an old friend. Our children went to school together and he lived in the area here in Texas, although he lives in St. Louis area now. But so it was good to catch up with him and talk about some theology and just catch up in general. And our conversation, I think, will be of interest to you. We touch on a number of theological topics. It's an impromptu uh, interview and recording, so you might hear some background noise from things going on. But we talked about subjects like Dominion Theology and Reconstructionism, uh, which may be unfamiliar terms to you. I think we try to explain it quickly. And uh, Free Grace Issues and Free Grace, the history of the movement. A little bit, we got into talking about the rapture, which is what Tommy's really known for speaking and writing about, and also about Israel and his latest book, um, the um, the case for Zionism, is out. And he has written over 30 books or participated in over 30 books, some really good books, bestsellers, charts of the Bible, charts of the end times, uh, plus other books about the rapture and eschatology and you'll want to look them up and we'll, you can get a hold of him through his website and that information is provided in the text before this conversation. So it was good to catch up with Dr. Tommy Ice. He's had a lot of teaching experience, pastoral experience, and is now directing the Pre-Trib Research Center, which he founded with Tim LaHaye. So let's uh, hear from Dr. Tommy Ice. So I'm sitting here with uh, Dr. Tommy Ice, well known to many people who might be listening today. And if you don't know him, I hope you get to know him through this podcast here. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Tommy. What's well, good to be with you? As I said, we're at a conference here together in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. So I want to take the opportunity to talk to you. And uh, the first question I want to ask you is, what is your definition of repentance? <laughs> well, it, it means uh, change, you know, to going in one direction and you go back the other direction. Okay. In actions or in attitude? Uh, well, obviously it has to, the attitude has to change before the actions do. Yeah. We would expect the actions to change. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just kind of teasing Tommy because he, he hit me from broadside with that question when I was preaching on something totally different and we had a question and answer and he threw that question at me <laughs> in front of the crowd. So, uh, just kind of getting back at him there. Tommy, is does you do a lot of speaking on eschatology and especially the rapture as right. one of the founders, uh, along with Tim LaHaye, of the Pre-Trib Research Center. Center is called. Used to be called Council, didn't it? No. No? Okay, never, never did. Research Center. Okay. Well, we have our Pre-Trib Study Group conference every year. Every year. That's mm -hmm. called the Study Group. Okay. And the conference is usually in the Dallas area, and I've enjoyed going to a number of them. And you're already planning the one for next year in early December? Yeah, 32nd annual. Give us a quick preview. 
Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. It's awful early in the year still. Right. It's all right. It'll be good. You'll send out the advanced mailers. Um, you know, of course, uh, what Grace Life does is is we preach the gospel of grace right. and the grace of the gospel. And you speak a lot on eschatology, but you call yourself free grace also. So where did free grace and eschatology intersect? What's the relationship there? Well, I, I think it, uh, you know, it, how does the gospel relate to eschatology? Yeah, well, well, go ahead. It, it relates and that that's the uh, entrance into, you know, biblical Christianity is by trust in Christ. And then uh, eschatology, you know, shows you the future uh, corporately, you know, for what the church is. Uh, the, for example, the preacher of rapture, the fact that we're going to be raptured, etc. And uh, so you need to get the gospel right uh, if you're going to preach the gospel. You know, there so many other theologies have other eschatological themes, uh, schemes like um, amillennialism. And, of course, amillennialism collapses the two judgments into one, final judgment, right? right? Uh, what does that do to the gospel, in your opinion? Well, you know, I've never thought of that. I don't know. Uh, okay, well, I, I think about it quite often, so that's right. why I wanted your opinion about it. But it, what it does, in my opinion, it gets rid of the judgment seat of Christ. Ah, yes. Puts those Pretty judgments large. of works into the final judgment. Sure. So what does that do to the gospel? Well, that, that's right. Uh, the lordship people downplay or don't even have... Uh, believer's judgment because everybody's the same so to speak in other words yeah and of course everybody's saved the same in the gospel but uh there's a tremendous emphasis there's probably 50 passages in the new testament that talk about rewards yeah and uh it talks and that's based on faithfulness after you become a believer and apparently uh, you know, whether you're going to be ruling over the state of Texas or something like that during the millennium uh, could be impacted by, uh, you know, your position that is a result of rewards. I'd like to call dibs on that position, but <laughs> I'll probably just be be harvesting cactus or something. But anyway, um, yeah, you started and helped start with Tim LaHaye, uh, the pre-trib uh, research well, the center. Yeah, the study group started and first, and then the center started a year after. And what is your passion? Can you explain your passion about the rapture and why it's so important to you? Because you speak about it all the time. Well, actually, I wasn't overly passionate about the rapture and stuff when we started. Actually, I was more into apologetics and stuff uh, before that happened. I, I'm, a, I'm a Vantillian in the area of apologetics and things. But uh, I became very, very interested, needless to say, when I started working with Tim LaHaye, because he read a book that I'd written with Wayne House called Dominion Theology, Blessing or Curse, mm-hmm. that came out in 80. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I had been involved in the Christian Reconstruction Movement and, uh, you know, actually had decided at one point to become a full-blown Reconstructionist. That means a post-millennialist. Yeah, explain Dominion Theology real quickly. Yeah, well... Dominion theology is a broader term, but the Christian Reconstruction movement uh, is post-millennial. They believe that uh, over time, the 
and some stretch it out to like 35,000 years or something the church age is going to be. Uh, some don't. Uh, the majority and some even say everybody is going to be saved at some point in history. And of course, uh, it doesn't look like that's happening, but they say, well, just give us more time, kind of like the evolutionists. More time somehow solves all these things. And they believe that we're under the Mosaic Law as well. Uh, at least 22 out of 23 of the death penalty should, should be implemented during the church age. Now, now I believe it's as the millennium, as, as Christianity spreads and becomes more influential, then people will gradually accept these types of things. And uh, so, so that would mean if you're a heretic, you know, you'd be put to death, uh, various other things like that that you find out of the Mosaic Law. And so they don't believe that Christ fulfilled the law. They believe he fulfilled the law by keeping it, but on the other hand, that it wasn't done away with mm-hmm. at all. And so, uh, and they, they as preterist people, that's people who, you know, there's four ways that you can relate to time, past, present, future, and timeless. And so there's four views of when prophecy is going to be fulfilled. And this has nothing to do necessarily with amill, pre-mill, or post-mill, or even pre-trib or post-trib, you see, or any of these things. It's a totally different category. Most people are not as aware of this factor as other factors. And so a preterist is the Latin word for past. They believe that, and, and there's a spectrum of preterists as well, hmm. that part or most of Bible prophecy is fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. So that's what the book of Revelation is all about. They right. Would say, would say. Well, and, and there's Almost. a spectrum in there. Some believe that there's still a future second coming. Others don't. But then you have historicism, which is like what uh, actually uh, most Americans up until the Civil War were historicists that the events of church history or the book of Revelation are being played out during the 2,000 years of church history. So that's happening during the church age. So the seven letters to the churches would be seven periods of history also? Uh, yes, but that's not, not necessarily the basic right. element in okay. their view. It's the chapters uh, beyond that. Right. And so you have Seventh-day Adventists and Mormons, for example, are some of the few that are left over from that time when when the historicism was very dominant in Protestantism. Hmm. So, and, yeah, how, how is this um, Dominion Theology Reconstructionist movement doing today? Not, yeah, Reconstruction, they call it. Well, it's it's hard to evaluate. Uh, the number one guy out there now is uh, the guy up in Idaho. What's his name? Doug Wilson. It used to be Gary North in East Texas, wasn't well, Gary it? Mo- Gary North died, yeah, yeah. but he and he left Texas. Uh, and people like Ray Sutton, who's an Episcopal minister now, and Dallas grad, hmm. uh, and some of those guys, you just don't see see or hear anything about them. But Doug Wilson in uh, Idaho is the number one guy now and he, a lot of people follow him and everything and so they're trying to implement you know Christianity in every area of life which which I agree with a lot of the things that they do in that area but they believe of course that uh, post-millennialism is eventually going to gain traction and uh, you know those kind of things and they believe that we have 
many, many, many more generations of people, you know, before uh, we reach the time of the end. Hmm. So you mentioned that you were going down that path. What turned you away from it? Well, uh, I had gone to Tyler, which is where a bunch of them lived at that time. And I was living in the Oklahoma City area uh, at my first pastorate there. And I went to, I used to go to their conferences all the time. I used to video them and all of this kind of stuff. And, uh, but I never bought into their eschatology. And uh, I had gone to, and I spent a day with Gary North and some of the others at, in the Tyler place, talking with them. And I decided on the way back to uh, do that, to get involved with the uh, Reconstructionists. And I'd spent the night with my friend Tim Demme, who was in the doctoral program at Dallas. And, uh, you know, I convinced him that I had become a Reconstructionist. And the next day when I was driving from Dallas to Oklahoma City, about Ardmore, Oklahoma, I always say, all of a sudden, I, I hollered out, Israel. <laughs> and it just dawned on out, Actually hollered out? Yeah. And I said, Israel. And, and I, I thought, I can't throw them under the bus. Hmm. And how does it explain how they get thrown under the bus with? Well, Israel is finished in history. They believe that the promises to Israel were fulfilled in the past, and therefore Israel has no uh, prophetic future. You know, they admit, obviously. In fact, Gary North used to talk about how he had a, a book written for when Israel gets pushed into the ocean, you know, mm. and destroyed the modern state of Israel. Wow. And uh, so. A week later, Dave Hunt was coming to speak at my church in Oklahoma City. And, you know, we talked about all this, and, and he was chewing me out, and, <laughs> you know, all of these kinds of things. Dave, Dave Hunt was such a gentle fellow. <laughs> well, he, he really was. And he was a, his personality was, was gentle, but what he had to say. His writing was, was pretty yeah, blunt, yeah. It, it was. And, you know, so I, I began to realize, and, and it dawned on me, even though I was a Dallas Seminary graduate, and... Uh, I really hadn't studied very in depth, you know, the, the writings of dispensationalists and, and Walvoord and Ryrie and all those Pentecost. And uh, I went back and started reading these. I said, man, this is ridiculous. And so I, I flipped. And uh, that's when I met one day. I was Dallas. I'm originally from Austin, Texas, and I would drive from Oklahoma City, stop in Dallas, and go to Austin halfway. Yeah. And I was stopped into the library one day, and Wayne House was be, was interviewing at that time for faculty position at Dallas wow. Seminary. And we were in the book room where you buy books, and I was on one side, and I heard him mention uh, a Reconstructionist by name. And I went over and talked to him and met him, and we went out on the lawn and talked to like for like two hours hmm. uh, after that. And he then became a faculty member at Dallas Seminary. And uh, he and Roy Zook and I were friends. And so Roy Zook had asked me to write an article in Bibsac, Bibliotheus Sacred Dallas Seminary's journal, which I did. Mm -hmm. And Wayne then asked, because he was asked by Multnomah to write a book about the Reconstructionists. And so he said, Tommy, you know more about it than I do. Mm. <laughs> which I did, 
And uh, so we co-authored that book called Dominion Theology, Blessing or Curse. Okay. And as Gary North said, he doesn't believe it's a blessing, you know. Oh. But I, that's the language I picked up from them, you know, the idea of blessing and cursing. Okay. You know, they, they're involved in it. So that's, that got me into it, and I really uh, moved away, needless to say, from that. And Tim LaHaye, when he was on a, uh, after he'd resigned his church and David Jeremiah took over, he went on a one-year trip around the world to visit missionaries, and he took my air book, Dominion Theology, with him and read it, mm-hmm. and he contacted me when he got back and said, you know, that pre-tribulationalism was in the decline, in his opinion. Why don't we start uh, what, we, what ended up being the pre-trib uh, study group? And we did, and then the pre-trib research center was started, and I worked for him for 25 years till he died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it started out as a ago. small group, yes. invite only, yes. and that's turned into a big conference of hundreds of people. Right. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting story. I didn't know exactly how that got started. So <clears throat> you um, shifted from that view to now to being a champion of Israel, and I'll just plug your book, A Case for Zionism, your latest book. Right. Excellent presentation about that, which I be a whole other podcast we won't get into it but the case for zionism in which tommy shows how israel has the right to be where they are right and, and by god and by law yes just an interesting book so we'll not we'll save that for a future podcast but um now you also have you shifted a little bit in your soteriology no well actually i was a lordship guy until John and I was at booksellers when John MacArthur came out with his book uh, Gospel, Gospel According, According to Jesus. Jesus. I received a free copy. I was one of the 50 people at that luncheon, hmm. and he was ta- talking about people that, you know, uh, he had that had be, been Christians and how they apostatized from the faith and left the faith. And I had three guys that were in my wedding, you know that totally left the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Some of my best friends wow. when I was younger. And uh, so I really identified with that. And I got my free copy. And then Christmas was coming. And so I gave a, th- this copy to my brother-in-law, not having read it, for his, he's a pastor. You haven't read it. And, you gave and, it and I gave it to him. And then this became a big issue. <laughs> and so I went back and bought a copy and read it. And I said, I don't agree with this. Okay. And that's, I actually became a free grace guy uh, after reading MacArthur's book because I realized that what he was doing was taking narratives from the Gospels and reading his theology into it. And he, he didn't emphasize the, uh, the, you know, New Testament epistles and, you know, all of that. And, and then one time, I'm a member of the IFCA, Independent Fund, and we had... A meeting at his church, uh, mm-hmm. the national meeting. Is that when they interviewed him in about the, his views? In the mid-90s. I don't know what they did. I have did. a recording of that interview. Well, I don't know yeah. about that. Okay. But I, they had me come in and I talked to his two top lieutenants and for like two hours. And I showed them how they had uh, misquoted Lewis Berry Chafer because I happened hmm. to write my thesis on Lewis Barry Chaffer's view of original sin. Oh wow! So I, I for for my era of graduate, I, I knew Chaffer a little better than the average Dallas guy, and they actually 
were convinced and changed those things. And they told me that what how they wrote the book was MacArthur preached the sermons, and then these two guys would add stuff. And they, so in the earliest editions, they have this criticism of Lewisbury Chafer in it, but they took it out in later printings of it. Yeah. Uh, as a result of our conversation. That's an interesting story also. Yeah. <laughs> you got a lot of interesting yeah. stories. And, uh, you know, I said, you know, Chafer, uh, they were calling him an antinomian and all of those yeah. typical type things. And when I was there, we stayed, at, I stayed at a staff person's house. And, you know, if you ever, t- uh, who was on staff at, at MacArthur's church, and they, uh, anytime you talk about somebody who's straight, who, made some sin or anything well they weren't a believer you know and all of that kind of stuff i don't know if they're you know christians can i think can do just about anything and still be a believer yeah uh unfortunately yeah unfortunately yeah i think it's you have to evaluate it person by person and find out what they do believe yes yeah you just can't paint everybody with a big brush i i never could figure out if the gospel is justification by faith which it is how, and all of that happened, you know, all of us are almost 1,900 years from the time of these events. If when you believe all your sins, past, present, and future were, were forgiven, mm-hmm. how in the world can something you did, I mean, I can understand a person not knowing if someone else is a believer or not, right? but uh, how could that affect justification? Well, it can't. We, we know that. And so, to me, you have to vie away to get into lordship uh, from uh, the correct emphasis of justification by faith. Yeah. Well, when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he knew they were all future to him. Exactly. When we were justified, he says all of our sins are forgiven. That's right. I, I include future sins in that. Well, of course. I don't think we're going to do anything that surprises him. Right. Now, it could be that we're, uh, you know, a false professor or not a, a true believer. Uh, but, you know, I know I am. Yeah. And I believe that assurance of salvation comes from the spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Mm-hmm. And that's something Lewis Berry Chaffer taught very strongly. And but also based on the Word of God, of course. Yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. It's those two pad Galatians and Romans talks about that, not on what you do or don't do. Yeah. Now, obviously, the Bible wants us to live a, a spirit-filled life, a holy life, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. But we don't, you know, we're still fallen, sinful creatures. We still have the old nature, you know, and everything. But uh, yeah, well, very good, uh, Tommy. Another thing that um, you've been championing it championing is dispensationalism because there's so many charges about dispensationalism especially that it's a recent theology and i like what uh, one of the speakers said so what you know right <laughs> but how do you defend the um, newness of dispensational theology in church history well dispensations uh is not new uh for the first 1500 years probably 75 to 80 percent of Churches, people in church history talked about the dispensations. Well, if you believe that there was the before the law, and you believe that there was a period under the law, right. and you believe in grace, uh, then right there is three dispensations, and I think every almost everybody right. would agree to that. That's the logic Lewis Bird Schaefer used, mm-hmm. and Dallas Seminary used. Yeah, so the number of dispensations is is not as critical right. as how we get there. But 
what you have is the develop. It's the it's called the progress of dogma, as J. Owen Orr's book said. You know, I majored in historical theology, church history, and how these things develop. And uh, it it was uh, you know the Middle Ages when they finally uh, taught that uh, Christ's atonement paid for sin. And before that, they believed in what's called the ransom to Satan theory. That was the dominant view for a thousand years in the mm. church. Mm-hmm. Well, as things developed, it became an issue, and it was finally articulated. And we know about Luther and justification by faith, mm-hmm. 1,500 years. And, and not that he had the final word on it either, because we're, no. we're still refining that message. Yeah, but he had the basic thing. And, and why was it hidden? Well, people don't realize uh, during most of church history... Uh, only about one in 2,300 people could read. Hmm. And uh, and even in the Middle Ages, only about one guy every 100 years in the church even knew a little Hebrew. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so they were reliant on translations and things. And we know about how the word justification was butchered in, in uh, what's that Latin thing that what's-his-name did? Uh, Oh, well. Jerome, the Vulgate? Yeah, Jerome, the Vulgate, you know, and, and things like this. And so it wasn't until you have uh, the rise in the late 1300s of the printing press, and then you have Protestant Protestants become, uh, the average Protestant becomes more literate, and you have the rise of literacy and all of this kind of stuff, that you have the, the full a fuller development of theology. And as Jadwin Orr talks about, he's a guy that who was a post-millennialist in 1899, 1897, gave a lecture called The Progress of Dogma. And he shows that theology was developed. Now, now early on, they all had, they had views on every area of theology. But you, you don't have the development like I just talked about in, in, in Christology and justification uh, and being clarified by the church until it got more mature. And so he points out that ecclesiology and eschatology are the last two areas to be developed in church history. And so uh, ecclesiology uh, and the early church fathers uh, through the Middle Ages basically took Israelology and applied that to the church. <laughs> and it wasn't until like the 1700s that you begin to have ecclesiology being properly defined, which in conjunction with eschatology in the early 1800s, that you then have the rise of dispensationalism as a system. Because people recognize the distinction between the church and Israel. That, exactly. And uh, that's why I think belief in the rapture, uh, preacher rapture, was a late development. But we have guys now going back and reading the 500 volumes of Greek and Latin that have never been translated into English. Huh? And we have come up uh, and... Uh, when I we started the pre-trip study group uh, 32 years ago, we only knew of Darby, no one before Darby. Yeah. Now, but you've made some good discoveries. Well, then. now we've got like 65 different people, and some people who are Ah Mills who believed in the pre-trip rapture even. Going back how far? To the to the the one the late 100s. Wow. All the way forward, uh, and uh, because we're translating these ancient works. Yeah, those have never been translated into English, and most people aren't aware of those. Yeah, so they always use Darby as a reference point. Right. For the and, beginning. And nobody was interested 
in dealing with these issues, you see. Yeah. And so you have summaries of, and you know, if you've been in the library, like at Dallas Seminary, the red the red ones are Greek, and the blue ones are Latin. Hmm. Okay. And uh, I've, I've seen those sets. I've probably never seen the blue ones. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, yeah. And, and so now, you know, goodness, we're approaching 70-something all throughout church history Yeah. that people taught some form of pre-tribulationalism, including, for example, uh, here's a, an American, uh, and he founded Brown University, an Ivy League school, a guy from uh, Wales originally, and uh, he came over, and he, he's the father of American Baptist history and founded an Ivy League school. And he, uh, and he wrote uh, Baptist history is his main thing. But other than one book that he wrote on how to raise money, a good Baptist, yeah. <laughs> uh, he wrote a book on the rapture. Huh. And I have, I, I, LaHaye sent me to Europe back in the 90s for six weeks and I, I looked through all the libraries over there virtually all the libraries hmm. and nobody even had a copy of his stuff there they wow. had his other stuff hmm. but nobody had his because it was done in America it was it was published the year he died that's interesting and uh, so the founder of Brown University <laughs> Morgan Edwards you know taught a preacher of rapture and he preached all up and down the eastern seaboard so people had to have known about that at that time. Again, about what about what year? Uh, that would be in the uh, he he wrote that in 1743. Uh, and Darby's was 18 late 1826 okay. to 27. So there you go. Yeah, you know, Tommy, you're a bottomless pit of historical information, <laughs> and it's helped me also in defending the free grace message because people often ask, when did the free grace message start? And they want to say, oh, it started with, you know, Ryrie or Schaefer or something like that. Really, I say it goes back to the Bible. There's always been a controversy between works and salvation right. and works and assurance. But you turned me on to a really interesting book called, I think it's called The Making of a Heretic, The Free Grace Controversy um, in the in Massachusetts. Oh, yeah, yeah. By Winthrop. Right. Yeah, but it was it had the date there, 1640 right. on the title. I've got three books about, uh, who is that lady? Uh, Ann Hutchinson. Ann Hutchinson and her pastor, John, John Cotton. Cotton, were free gracers. Yeah, yeah. And John Cotton wimped out on her. Yeah. And uh, she... and she, But she went a little bit extreme herself. Right. Well, yeah. that was later. With some of the visions. Her father was a theologian in England, and she immigrated, you know, uh, to go to Cotton's church because he was considered this great pastor. But the interesting and thing is that the title was the Free yeah. Grace... They call it themselves the yeah. Free Grace Controversy. That's right. And the whole issue was... And really the issue today is how do you have assurance? Yes. And she got kicked out. Yep. And went to... Uh, was it uh, Massachusetts? She went to Rhode Island. Yeah, she had to leave Boston. Right. Yeah. And she then got into other stuff that made her a heretic. Yeah. You know, but... Nevertheless, at the time uh, when this controversy began, she wasn't a heretic. See, back then, uh, they would, all the women, in a, you know, there's a thousand people in Boston at the time. Yeah. And yeah. half of them went to this church. Yeah. And when somebody was going to have a baby, they didn't know when it was going to come. And the women would get together, you know, maybe for a day even. And they would talk, and she would lead them in theological right. discussions. Bible studies, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she was a very popular Bible teacher. 
Uh, that was a, such an interesting book to read, but it shows the free grace controversy has right. always, always been there, really. Exactly. Yeah, it's something e- ever since the Reformation. Yeah. It's, the, it's the assurance issue of whether it's come from works or from faith in that's Christ. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. That's what she, they were arguing at first. John Cotton agreed with her that it was uh-huh. through faith in Christ. But then he started and that's to where compromise. she learned it. That's where she learned it yeah, from. Yeah, from him. From yeah, him. but he started to... Well, he got he wimped out. Yeah, a little got a little political there. I think. Yeah. yeah, because the governor was against him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, you're the expert on the rapture. You probably speak on it with more authority and knowledge than anybody I know. So, my last question for you today is: When's Jesus coming? <laughs> At any moment. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, obviously, there are no signs relating to the rapture. See. Uh, the Old Testament does not talk about uh, church age truth. In fact, I like to point out the Olivet Discourse was given three days before Christ's uh, crucifixion. And that's the prophetic view of Israel. And I don't think the rapture's in Matthew 24 or Matthew 25. And then the night before Jesus died, he gave the Olivet Discourse, which is only in John's Gospel. And it, 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 and two-thirds of the way through John 13, when Judas leaves the room, everything that Jesus brings up, including the rapture in John 14, 1 through 3, is brand new church-age truth. Hmm. All the, and, and three different times it says, I have more to tell you, but you can't bear it now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all things. And so then you have Paul's first epistle, is Galatians probably because of the Jerusalem Council issue in Acts 15, and then his next two epistles are First and Second Thessalonians, where he it's totally about the rapture and yeah. eschatology and all of that kind of stuff. So early on, he's the one that primarily revealed you know the rapture and all of that, and so the idea uh, and when you look at other than the book of James, when you look at the emphasis on apostasy, it occurs in the last third of epistles because they're they're getting ready to die off and they're warning hmm. them about apostasy yeah. within the church. But the rapture is revealed early on in the church age. That's good. Well, of course, the doctrine of eminency is that it could happen at any moment, so right. we don't know when it's going to happen. But let me ask this the final question, rephrasing it a little bit. If you had to point to something that's going on in our world today that shows that it's very soon, what would be what would you point to? Well, ever since uh, Constantine Christianized the Roman Empire, uh, there's always been a center of Christendom, and with the United States, you know, having transferred from Britain about 100 years ago to the United States being the center of biblical Christianity. And, of course, Texas being the center of the United States. That's that's correct. <laughs> Excuse the, us, listeners. The, for... This is of a truth, a little King James song in there. Uh, <laughs> then now we're seeing with the decline of uh, Christianity, of evangelicalism in America, and the, take, the kind of antichrist-type takeover that's beginning to occur in the United States— it, and there's no real center anymore. But I think so many countries are going to be able to make it on their own. For example, I've been to Brazil six times, I think, and back 50 years ago, only 10% were Protestant. 
and now it's over 50 percent, mm-hmm. and that's why they're having those elections. They're still in the elections. Yeah. And there, where that Protestant guy had gotten in, mm-hmm. and they're they're trying to, you know, they stole the election there as well. But you have many countries now that are self-sufficient, and uh, so I don't think we're going to have a center anymore. And I was involved in the Jesus movement. If you saw that movie, yep. I, I really liked it. Although, mm-hmm. you know, there's some inaccuracies yep. in what actually happened. Uh, you saw the revival that was taking place with, uh, and I've seen scholarly reports saying about 30% of North American hippies got saved. And and I took a course in Dallas called the History of Revivals in America. And we have now gone the longest in the history of America without a revival since the Jesus movement. Yeah. And well, the uh, Asbury things didn't seem to. Oh, they're not hang, panning out. They the, didn't hang in look, there. The day after it starts, all of these. Ladder rain people show up. Oh, and they're the, that, that the holy laughter group. Well, uh, it was all kinds of things. Uh, they believe there's got to be an end time revival and all of this. And, and I mean, these people have whole ministries okay. and everything. And a bunch of these people were pushing it from day one. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know, it's not some spontaneous type yeah. of thing that actually happened. And so they're 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 <clears throat> manufactured. We had that stuff in the '90s, you know, supposed revivals and everything. They all turned out to be phony. So decentralization of the of Christianity does that pave the way for rapture and the Antichrist? Is that what you're well, saying? Well, no, there are no signs. You know, the church. There's nothing to indicate. See, uh, the church age. I didn't finish this earlier. Okay. The church age begins suddenly and unexpectedly in God's plan based on the Old Testament. And it ends suddenly and unexpectedly. And, uh, you know, that's why uh, in rapture passages, it always says waiting, including Titus 2.13, which is is the same word for waiting with a preposition on the front that intensifies it. So it should be waiting, not looking. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, all the passages that talk about the second coming, they're looking. There's something to look for, you mm, see. Yeah. So at the rapture, we're waiting. That's all we can do. Because we, we can do. There's for. nothing to look for. But there are certain clues that the second coming is going to yeah, be for those right. in the tribulation, for example. Yeah. As Andy Andy Woods just said, you know, Dr. Walford was famous for this, you know, that uh, when you see the decoration for Christmas, you know Thanksgiving is near. You know, there you go. Things. Well, what a good illustration to end with. Uh, Tommy, thanks for sharing with us. It's been a fascinating conversation. I'm sure our listeners, are you've only whetted their appetites to dig deeper into what, what you've been studying and teaching. Well, they can go to pre-trib.org. We'll make that information available in the introduction, introduction okay. to the podcast so they can get in touch with you, get get a hold of your resources, your books, which are excellent, and, uh, and be a part of that. Thank so, you. Yeah, well, thank you. So, Tommy, it's been great to be with you. Well, it was a nice little conversation we had. I really enjoyed that. I hope you did, too. I hope it at least piqued your curiosity about some of these theological topics we discussed. Uh, But most of all, and most important, is that Tommy takes a stand for a clear gospel of grace. And he always has, well, he's evolved some in his thinking. He He would admit himself, but he is free grace today. And we appreciate that about him. Plus, he's one of the leading authorities on the end times and the nation of Israel. He's a champion for both of those things as well. Hope you get a hold of his materials. 
And I hope also that you give us a good note or word or rating and share this podcast with others. So thank you for listening very much, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.